everybody, Kendra the Vet Tech here, and I'm here for part three of our Education Options mini-series. Today, we are going to talk about online schooling, and I want to make sure I get my disclaimer in here in the beginning that we are talking to an instructor with a specific program, and so this is just a broad overview for you guys. Some of the things, if you get into a different program, might be a little bit different, but this is just the big picture of what to expect. So today with me, I have Trisha. She is a CBT and part of the St. Petersburg College Veterinary Technology Program. So welcome, Trisha. Thank you so much for joining us. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. I am a certified technician in the state of Florida, and I am the program director for St. Petersburg College. I've been a technician for 30 years, almost 30 years now. So I'm one of the lifers. So I'm That's really awesome. passionate. <laughs> really passionate about making sure that veterinary technicians have the education they need to move forward and that we're working to unify this profession across the state. And I just wanted to be clear too, for anybody listening who's located close to your college, you have other degree options as well. Looks like you have a on-campus two-year and four-year degree. Is that right? We have um, our AS program can be offered on-campus completely online, or we can do a blended format for that. And then oh, we cool. also have a BAS program, which is only completely online. And that's a post-AS bachelor's. So students can come to us from any program that they want, but they have to um, have their AS first before they go into the bachelor's program. Okay. And join us for episode four, part four of this series, guys. I talk with our next guest, Paige, about that a little bit in depth. So you guys will have more detail on that as well. Because today, Tricia, we are going to focus on online school. So some folks may have spouses that need to move a lot or be in some other life position that doesn't allow them the, the luxury of being able to travel to a campus to do this. So I'd like to just start out at the top, at the very beginning, your application process for getting into your online program. What does that look like? So we require students to have completed, we are a public college, so we require students to have their general education courses completed prior to coming to us. So that's 21 general education courses, including a college level math, a communications course, speech, humanities, social science, and then a three credit natural science that includes a lab. So those have to be completed um, when you apply or being very close to completed when you apply. We also require that you have 40 hours of observation in a veterinary facility with a credentialed veterinary technician so that you're, we know that you're well aware of what the job responsibilities are of a veterinary technician. We also ask that you come to us with an affiliation with a veterinary hospital because as an online student, you'll be required to complete for most semesters 280 hours in a veterinary facility. Okay. So it's a little bit easier on you and on us if you have that affiliation prior to coming with us. And most students will look first to their where they completed their observation hours to get that affiliation. If you're working in a veterinary hospital, that that is that requirement. So you don't have to look anywhere else. Okay. If you've been working there at least full time for a week, you've already met your requirement, <laughs> 40 hours. <laughs> right, right. All right. And what about interviews? Is there anything like that in our previous two episodes? We've had in-person interviews as part of this process, but, you know, online, that's a little bit different. Your student might not even live in your state. Is there anything like that? Right. 
So all of our students do an interview process. It's a little different for the online students. The campus students is a selective admissions because we have limited seats, right? So the online program, we're not limited to seats. So if you meet the admissions requirements and have your 40 hours of observation and have an affiliation with a clinical site, then you are admitted into the program. However, we do have a student success course that students have to complete prior to their first day, and that does include an interview. So we provide the questions, they complete their interview and post that to a YouTube. It's a private restricted account, so it's not available to everybody, just to whoever the student gives the link to, which is us. That also serves as a uh, documentation piece for us for our accreditation. So we can see the student's face, we can see who's going to be in the program, and we can learn a little bit about them before they start their first day. Okay, so it's less of the high pressure question answer, but you at least want to see their face and right. how they sort of carry themselves and, and communicate. Right. And how such. they answer okay. the questions are the same that the, the campus selective people would be completing. So. Okay. And then, you know, before you would want to apply and be accepted into an online program, I assume you'd want to have all your technology worked out beforehand. Do yeah. you guys have any like internet speed requirements or anything like that that people should be aware of? We don't have any set requirements and we really haven't had a problem with technology for students. They seem to come to us with everything that they need. We do function on an LMS, so all of the course content is on an LMS. They are given requirements as far as equipment because they obviously will have to video all of their essential skills. But, you know, the day and age of a smartphone, the students are doing those on their smartphones and they're able to edit things. And it's really has not been an issue. We do have a little bit of a problem sometimes with speed when it comes to testing because the tests will be proctored. So students usually, some students, if they're living out in remote areas, will find a library or something close to them. So that's something to consider when you're applying is where you're going to take those those higher speed tests. Okay, and we'll get into the tests later because I do have more <laughs> questions about that. And I think that kind of wraps up the questions that I had for the application process. Then, you know, the next thing I had on my list was general education requirements, but sounds like you already covered that in that they're sort of more of a prereq for your program. You guys like right. to see those done. But what about flexibility in transferring those. So say I did have a community college just a few miles down the road. Are you guys pretty flexible with accepting transfer credits? We can, as long as the credit is um, regionally accredited college. So most of the state colleges are regionally accredited. So those will transfer. If they don't transfer, first of all, a lot of students come to us with previous degrees. So they already have an AA degree or a bachelor's degree. If they have a degree from another college that is accredited, then their general education courses will be considered met with the exception of that natural science. So, but most times when you have a previous degree, you have some type of science and we will look at that and see if we can get you credit for that. Um, Otherwise we have processes where if they don't say the communications course um, looks a little different from our communication course, there's a, a process where we can ask for an appeal to get credit for those as well. So we can work okay. on one with the student if they come to us and they don't get credit for something that they think they should have, we can appeal to the dean of those programs to see if we can get them credit. 
And what about second career, you know, kind of later in life people? Is there any time limit for those folks that may have gotten that AS or bachelor's degree 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, no, there's not. So as long as you have that degree, that degree follows you everywhere. So Okay, perfect. So wouldn't have to repeat those gen eds for for those folks. (laughs) All right. We do get a fair share of those. Um, Yeah. We seem to have a fair share of um, police officers and things that change careers and now want to do something they love. So. Okay, so general education application process. We got accepted. Now we're a student in your online program, when can we expect to start your program? So the online program starts three times a year. We start a class in August, we start a class in January, and we start another class in May. So again, there's no limit to the number of seats. So if the applicants are prepared, they have the requirements, they can start three times a year. Great. What's the what's the application process like? If there's someone who makes kind of a late decision, is it like you need to be everything submitted a month before the next program starts to be? Yeah, at the latest a month before, you know, if we have a student come to us, say we're starting a class in May and we have a student come to us mid-April and they've just decided they want to come to us and they have everything completed and they're working in a veterinary hospital, we will make every effort to get them enrolled. Um, But we really want students to at the very minimum, probably two months ahead of time, because we do have some steps that we have to complete prior to the start of classes. So we want to make sure that the students have time to complete those steps. We want to make sure they have an affiliation with a a clinical site. That's really one of the bigger ones. We're getting a lot of students that come to us that maybe aren't affiliated with a clinic. They've never worked in a veterinary hospital before. So in right now with COVID going on, that's really becoming a little bit more difficult. So in the clinical requirement is essential. If they don't have a clinical site, we really need to make sure that's established before they start the program. Yeah, because moving into the coursework part of it here, when we spoke with the previous two colleges, you know, they talked about having the in-class time where we do the book learning, but then there are also labs connected with the large majority of those classes. And so, you know, since online students, they're not there with you guys to make sure we get those labs done. They have to do this. And you said it's about 280 hours to make sure they get that lab component done. Right. 280 hours per semester. Yeah. So if they're in a, if they're enrolled in a lab, which most online students do have at least one lab per semester. Regardless of the course that they're enrolled in, though, even if they're only in a lecture course, they're required 100 clinical hours a semester because we really feel that the students need to be in these clinical sites to connect the material to the sites and to um, what they're going to be doing as a veterinary technician in the future. And is there any type of requirement on those where they need to go to a different hospital at certain points in their education to meet certain requirements or? There, there is for our program and programs are set up differently. So they would have different clinical requirements. So as far as the actual set clinical time, the we require full service veterinary hospital for their first two work practicum courses. So Um, You know, that's regular clinical site that sees healthy patients, sees sick patients, do surgery, spays and neuters, things like that. In their third clinical site, then they are required to do 20 hours in a shelter setting, 
which is a little different from other programs, we feel it's important that they get that shelter experience so that they know what's out there as well. Yeah. And then their final work practicum has 40 hours in an emergency practice. So in addition to that, of course, we have essential skills that are done on other species. So while they're not required to be in a large animal facility for a set amount of time, they do have to accomplish those large animal skills. So many times they're gonna have to find a large animal practice that they can ride along with to get those skills. They also have to do laboratory animal skills and they have to do bird skills. So if their facility is not seeing those types of species, then they're gonna have to venture out to find those species. Now we do hold workshops for our online students for those diff more difficult skills, mm -hmm. like the large yeah. animals, that seems to be one of the ones students have trouble finding. So we will allow them to come to campus. We do two days a semester, one day for horses, one day for cows, so that they we can help them with their clinical skills on those. Do you guys provide any assistance with locating clinics if somebody's struggling? Yeah, we do have a clinical coordinator. We put that position in place a couple of years ago so that students can work one-on-one -on -one with her. And basically we connect with students that we already have out in those areas. If we have a student in those area areas already, we can reach out to say, hey, is your clinical site willing to take on another student? Or do you know of areas or clinics in your area that will take on other students? We keep a database so we can search by zip code to see if we've had future or past students there that we okay. reach out to. So our clinical coordinator reaches out to those facilities. We do have some students that are pretty remote. Sometimes we had one in Montana. We had, oh, I was going to throw a random one like Montana yeah. out there. Glad to yeah. know you really have. Right. So we'll also reach out to vet tech programs that are in other states that maybe they would have some connections that we can help students um, locate them. Yeah. So what about your externships? So we've talked about externships in the last couple programs, but it sounds like yours is, is close to that structure since you only have start dates in January, May, and August. So sort of follows a tradition, more traditional school scheduling, but do you guys have the externships or preceptorships between what would be like year one and year two for your students? No, because or all of our clinical, um, hours are built into the program because they're okay. in a clinical site throughout. They, right. have to be, they have to be there. So there's no set externship. All of those clinical skills are built in throughout the program. So they're constantly doing and repeating skills. So they'll have skills lists that they'll have to complete for each of their courses, as well as their work practicum courses. So we felt it was a better model to build a program where the students are always in a veterinary hospital instead of waiting till the end of the program to reach out. That way they can connect the material directly. You know, they learn something in class one day, they're in a clinical site the next day, they can actually apply it the next day yeah. instead of waiting till the end of the program. I think that's great. I, I highly recommend working regardless of the program that you're in. You need to be in a right. hospital at, at least 20 hours a week, because you're right. I feel like the material, it's easier. It soaks in a little bit better, if you will, if you actually go into a clinic and you physically see what it is you learned about earlier in the day. So then does your, the structure of the program, students just go continually until they're done? There, there's no Thank type you. of summer break or anything like that? No, we get um, two weeks between the spring and the summer session, and then they get about 
three to four weeks between the summer and the fall session and three weeks at the winter break. So okay. they do get a little bit of a break, but they don't skip semesters. So um, online students go, if they need to take a semester off, we're pretty flexible and we allow that. We've had a lot of that happening right now because of the COVID thing. Yeah. But the, the unique thing about our program is we offer every course every semester. So if they needed to take a break and step away, they could and come right back into their program plan. Or if they needed to decrease their course load, if, you know, usually our online students are not taking as many classes as our campus students, simply because of the increased clinical hours. However, if they needed to drop down to just two classes because, you know, life was getting in the way or something like that, they could certainly do that. And then we would work on them, work with them building a new schedule to completion. So typically an online student is a three-year program. Okay. We do have an option for a two-year program. However, it's pretty intense, but if students needed to go four, four years, they could do that too. Okay. And so how do things work for you guys? How you said you have the three kind of set breaks. So is that what the semesters are for them? Then you have those classes from August to December and January to May. Right. It's a set, it's a set semester, 16 week semester, and then 10 weeks in the summer. The course material is not a work as you go. There are very specific deadlines. You, the courses are built in modules. Okay. So every week is a new module with the assignments due for that week. Um, usually their clinical skills are spaced out throughout the semester, so they won't have all of their skills, videos, and projects due at one time. They're, they're built in throughout the semester, but they will have weekly deadlines, weekly requirements of um, assignments. So it, it's not self-paced, and it does start at day one of the semester and then is completed at the end of the semester. Okay. And is there, I assume there's some type of syllabus or something like that released at the beginning so you can plan like, hey, in six weeks, I got to make sure I see a horse and do a blood draw. Right, right. So all of that information is given to the students in the syllabus. And then we always provide a schedule of assignments so that students on, we open our courses a week prior to the start of classes. Okay. And look and organize themselves before classes are actually open for them. So they can see those clinical skills, what requirements are going to be had and those kinds of things. We also, in our student success course, give them a heads up about some of those harder skills. So like the large animal is built later into the program. So they have more time to plan for that. The lab animal skills later in the, in the program. So they have more time to find access to those skills or those okay. And then when we start out here, you know, I was taking a look at your online curriculum that you have, and it looks like it's pretty similar to the other programs that we saw in private and the community college. So starting out with our usual anatomy, physiology, understanding all those things, are there some type of requirements while they're in clinics where, you know, they need to be setting aside time to say, this is where the femur is on a dog or or something like that? Or how does that work? Well, you know, we want them to connect. So um, most of the online courses have discussion board assignments or written assignments that they have to do weekly, and it connects to the, the clinical site. So they'll be asked to identify or submit a radiograph that shows the femur or something like that so that they're connecting the material they're learning in class to something at the clinical site. Okay. So 
Um, again, that's why we are, are making all of the students be in a clinical site, because again, when you make those connections, then it really makes more sense and is more practical. And then you become excited about your learning yeah. because you're like, oh, I just learned this in class and now I'm doing it in the practice. So it just engages the students much more. Yeah. And looking again, just at the year one stuff we have going on here. So anatomy, like we just chatted about terminology, which is super important. You need to know how to talk within the hospital. And then just some regular veterinary looks like clinical and office procedures. Yeah. So we start off pretty basic with, you know, this is the person who's never stepped foot in a veterinary hospital before, except for their 40 hours of observation. So we start off with, you know, what is the building blocks of our profession? So of course you need to know your anatomy anatomy lab, terminology is super important. And then we start with our first semester with a behavior course so that recognizing signs of not appropriate behavior and how do we respond to that and how do we get our animals to to behave the way we want them to behave. We do fear free in that first semester. So that's building blocks. Um, And then we start basically adding on skills and lessons based on what might happen next. So the second semester is, is their first clinical practice lab. So that's, here's the dog, here's the cat, here's we, how we get them in and out of their cages, out of their runs. Here's the, all of the restraint procedures that we do. And then we keep building and building until, you know, later on in their, their program is where they're doing their critical care nursing skills and their anesthesia skills. So of course we don't want that first semester that doesn't make sense to them. So everything yeah. builds and they're required to retain everything that they've learned from the previous semester. So like you mentioned terminology, we use that terminology book throughout the program. So we keep referring back to the terminology book because I think we are um, finding that students that maybe aren't scoring well on the BTNE is because not necessarily that they don't really know the material, but it's they don't understand the question the way it's written because they don't understand the terminology. So we're really reinforcing the terminology throughout the program too. Yeah. And here's instructor number three for you guys that is saying it builds, it builds, it builds. So I'll say it again. We can't complete step number four if we don't even understand step number one. So it's super important that we're attentive, retaining information throughout the duration of your program And on, because you may find yourself in situations where the only thing stopping your patient from dying is you. So we need to make sure that we understand and retain what it is that we're doing. So, okay. So year one, yeah, getting our basics in, doing that in-practice work the entire time so that we're making sure those skills and terminology and all the things that go with it are, are being retained. And then going into year two here, yeah, it looks like you guys are starting out with your anesthesia. I do see emergency medicine on here in year two. So is that where we would, that work practicum would be those required ER hours? The required ERs, ER hours are in our last semester. We do the emergency lecture early, probably midway through the program. Okay. So um, they have that experience or that not background knowledge for how they may have to respond in a veterinary hospital. So that's a lecture only course, but CPR is covered. Some of the, the critical nursing skills are covered in there and then reinforced as we move through their program. 
the ER hours are actually in their final semester online, which is 2946, which is their work practicum four. So in addition to ER hours in there, that is a VTNE review course. Okay. So they're in a clinical site, they're in an ER practice, and then every week they're answering hundreds really of questions related to the VTNE or potential items that they might see on that VTNE. That's great. And that's a great, you know, the VTNE is just this huge monster that it feels so hard to tackle. And so that's great that you offer that study tool, if you will, for students who just don't even know where to get started. I think it took me a couple days to be like, okay, this is the path that we're going now to study for this. Right. And half of the battle is just becoming um, more comfortable and not having so much anxiety about the test. So I think that when we've just developed that probably within the last five years, I mean, we've modified it, but I think just practicing over and over and over again, questions and them, you know, they come to, they come to class or they email me and they go, I just got this question. I don't understand it. And so then they're interacting with the instructors again, they're interacting with their, their people in their clinics. So in just having those conversations is learning. Yeah. So they're thinking about that. And then when it comes time for the VTNE, they're not as anxious. So they're like, I got this. I can do this. Well, and I don't know about your experience, Tricia. You've seen way more students than I have, obviously. But you know more than you think you do is basically what it boils down to. And I, I don't know what your experience is with your students, but they usually find their way around, you know, to the right answer. They do. And, you know, when they bring a question to me and they're like, this just doesn't make sense. I'm like, now, wait a minute, let's break it down because, and then they're like, oh, that was so easy. So just getting them thinking that way, you know, critical thinking skills and things like that. That's really important. So, yeah. Take a deep breath, guys. That's all it boils down to. (laughs) Take a deep breath. Okay. So year two, we've worked on anesthesia, starting some ER medicine to put some of those things together. And then what, what is the lab procedures that I'm seeing here on the term three part of it? Is that, I don't think it's lab animal. No, that's, I see um, that later. Okay. Clin path. Okay. Yeah. That's CBC, um, urinalysis fecal, the first part, which is 2638, that's CBC, urinalysis, fecal exam, ear and skin cytology. That's actually, those are my classes. So, and then semester two of that, which is 2639 L is, we continue with everything we've learned in the first first semester, but then we add um, more advanced procedure skills that they might see in maybe internal medicine or ER. So we do bone marrow exams. We do all of our cytology in there, microbiology, blood typing and cross-mashing and transfusion medicine. And then we do our comparative feces in there. So the birds, the horses, cows, sheep, goat, those kinds of things. Okay. Um, so coagulation is also in there too. Okay. So in end of year two into year three, we're getting all those clin paths out of the way and taken care of. Right. And they have all that background knowledge from their previous classes. So now they can start relating their diseases to that and that they're seeing in the ER and, oh, we transfused a, a patient. So why did we cross match? Now we're learning, putting those pieces together. Yeah. And then it looks like we start a little bit of large animal in our first term on year three as well. Right. And again, we put the large animal later simply because they need that time to think about where they're going to start finding facilities to do the large animal skills in. Yeah. I see you've got that at the 
I mean, almost the very end here, your second term of your third year is where we're looking at getting those nursing skills. So you have quite a lot of time, really, uh, even if you just look real quickly at the curriculum here, you can see the large time frame you have to kind of work all that out for yourself and figure out where you're going to go. And then just towards the end, your laboratory animal medicine, and like we talked about your work practicum in an ER. So Right. So the last semester is typically our exotics course. So the birds and reptiles and then our lab animal course, which is the rats, the mice and the, the rabbits. So again, just giving those students the opportunity to find those species that they need to work on. It also keeps that information, the large animal, the exotics, the lab animal, a little bit more um, fresh in their minds as they go toward that BTNE because that's the areas they tend to struggle simply because, you know, dog and cat medicine, everyone does, or a lot yeah. of people day-to-day -day basis. They're in the clinics. That's, that's what they do. So they're able to connect that information where the large animal, the exotics, they are not interacting so much with that information. So keeping that a little bit fresher in their mind as they go into the uh, VTNE has been helpful for them. And then looking at your curriculum, how it's broken down here, it looks like there are only a handful. Let me look a little earlier here, maybe one or two at the most of the actual online classes, like the book learning type classes per, per term. Is there more, courses. yeah, is there more to it than that? Or what kind of, what kind of time should we expect to be spending online with these classes every week? That's a great question. It goes course by course. Every course is different and it yeah. doesn't necessarily reflect back to the credit hour of that course. So for example, ClinPath, because of, you know, clinical sites are getting away from doing a lot of ClinPath, they're sending all of their information yeah. out. So the students have to spend a little more time um, sending me videos, letting me critique things and um, pictures and that kind of thing, because they don't have the mentorship within their practices. Unless they have a graduate that's really interested in clinical pathology, or they're doing a lot of that in their practices, then that comes back to the instructor to really work with them one-on-one -on, -one on. But most of our lab courses relate back to a lecture that they either are taking that semester or previous semester. So like you'll see anesthesia lecture is before our clinical practice labs three and four. So nursing and medicine three, nursing and medicine four. So um, they have that anesthesia lecture prior to going into those labs so that they have that background knowledge. So online, I tell students that lectures really aren't as time consuming as the labs are. And that's because of the clinical skills and the requirements of an online student to be able to practice those clinical skills in a practice to the point where they're feeling confident and competent in those skills to record those for the instructor. So, okay. you know, you're placing an IV catheter, you're not going to record the first IV catheter you place right. and submit that to your instructor. So, um, you know, they're having to practice these skills over and over until they're competent in them, some of the harder skills. So that takes quite a bit of time, especially if they're working in a practice and it's a busy practice. Yes. Because, you know, you need help with that. You need somebody to help you record. You need your mentor to make sure things are going correctly and things like that. So it's definitely... It's, I feel like students in the U.S. today are getting the misconception that, oh, I'm going to do it online because it's easier. Yeah. 
but that's not really how a vet tech or an essential, it, really a health related program is designed. It's really more difficult for the online students mm-hmm. because they need to find that time to devote to their skills. Yeah. And, and I'm really glad that you brought that up. I, you know, I honestly am not a big proponent of the online. I feel like if you have the option, you really, really should choose an on-campus program. I know that there are lots of people that it just can't be done for them. And I understand those situations, but I really do think that the value is there when you're actually on campus with these instructors to do that. Right. And we've really worked, you know, when our program was developed, we started the program years ago, 1994 is I think when our online program began. So we were like the adventurers. We started yeah. with AOL dial-up, our oh, no. <laughs> AOL message boards, you know, we didn't have an LMS. The students flew to us at the end of the program, but those students were working full-time in veterinary practices and had no option to get their vet tech's degree. There was yeah. no program near them. So that's really how it was built. And we've morphed along the way as online education has grown. So, and we've had to adjust to the student base that we're getting as well that are not as experienced in a veterinary hospital as our, our original students were. So yeah. can it be done by a person who's never been in a veterinary hospital? Absolutely but it takes dedication and it takes commitment. Yeah. So being really honest with yourself too, guys, about how you learn, because Trisha's mentioned multiple times throughout this, that this isn't just a happy go lucky, easy street type of deal. You know, speaking for her program specifically, they have time limits. So it's not, oh, I'll get to this next week or the week after. No, you have to get it done and you have to get it done now. And what about any lifetime obligations? Is there anything like that? Like you, you need to be in attendance for this particular lecture on this day or? Well, we've moved away from that because it was causing some issues for students who were in different types of practices. You know, if they yeah. were working night practice and things like that, they could not make it. Most of our courses have recorded lectures. So anything that we would have done in that live format we've recorded for the students so that they can watch at their convenience. We do have a couple of classes that do have live chats that students have the options of attending if they want to. Um, And those are recorded and then emailed out to the the whole class. But, you know, anytime a student needs extra help or wants to meet one-on-one with the instructors, we have that option. We can Zoom with a student. If a student is asking me a question about a specific item and I Zoom with them, then I offer that opportunity to all the students. Hey, come you know, so-and-so has this question. We're going to talk about that. Anybody else that wants to come join us, feel free. Oh, great. So we do a lot of that one-on-one with students or in small groups with students that need some additional help. You mentioned the exams earlier. So I would like to come back to that, you know, making sure that people are being honest and not doing open book exams. How do we right. take care of that? So we use a system called Honor Lock. So while the students are taking an exam, they have, you know, their browsers are locked, they have certain restrictions on their computers, the the honor lock system basically takes control of their system and monitors their system. Um, It's actually an augmented reality. So the computer is identifying issues that the student may be having if they're looking down a lot, if they're looking 
they're talking to other people. It's oh creepy. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> um, they have to scan their workplace to show us what's there, and this, the instructors are responsible for going in and, and looking at the video. Though I do want to say that you know the lecture-based courses. That's primarily how we monitor exams and those kinds of things. The lab-based courses are more project-based, so we're more interested in. While we do exams and quizzes and those kinds of things, and we'll use the Unlock system, we're more focused on can that student place their IV catheter? Can that student restrain the dog correctly? So that's where all their project-based learning comes in. So if for my course, Clinical Path, they have to submit um, 10 CVCs to me prior to the end of the semester with pictures included and things like that so I can evaluate how they're reading a CVC. So that those lab courses are built more on their projects and okay. less maybe on the actual exams. And I think that's what I very poorly asked you a little bit earlier. I was trying to get at, you know, what is the total online component here? Because I do see on your curriculum, every little term within the year, you know, they're not all lecture classes. There are a couple of lab. And so do we have online obligations for those lab classes as well outside of submitting the project things that you were just talking about? Like, are there weekly readings that go with that or homework, anything like that? Yeah. So each module in each class has reading assignments. Um, Sometimes there's videos involved, especially in the lab courses. We provide them with videos. This is the the gold star standard of how I keep going back to IV catheters. It's an easy one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this is how we expect your IV catheter to be placed. So um, they have to look at all of those skills and evaluate those. They have to do the reading based on, you know, what are the requirements of placing an IV catheter? Why do we do it? What are our fluid requirements? Things like that. So there's a lot of uh, reading. And then typically each module will have a written assignment too that forces the students to go back to the reading and interact with the reading assignment. Okay. And then discussion boards so that they're interacting with their, their classmates as well. And basically a lot of those discussion boards are, this is, this is what we're doing in the clinical site. Tell us how you're doing it in your clinical site or show us a case that happened this week in your clinical site. So each week, and that's pretty much how all of the classes are set up, regardless if they're lecture and lab okay. or a lab. So they will have typically a, a, a written assignment. They'll have a discussion board and they'll have a quiz every week. And then they may be more miscellaneous assignments for those labs, adding in the essential skills. My goodness, just this far into the conversation, this is just, you're putting in as much work, guys, with an online program, if not a little bit more, to be quite honest, because, you know, yeah, with, because you've mentioned a few times, so let's just talk about it. The AVMA skill sheets, we, we chatted about that with Natalie in our community college episode that, you know, we have these set skills that were put out by the AVMA that we're required to say, the instructor's required to say, yes, this student can successfully complete this skill. So we do those in the community colleges and the on-campus programs, but our instructor's standing right there. But you guys have that added, more difficult step here that it has to be recorded and then submitted to you guys. Right. So the instructor is having to watch all of those videos for each of those essential skills. We do break them up throughout the courses. So the instructors aren't burdened with all of the essential skills in one course, obviously. Um, But, you know, the heavy nursing skills, 
those those instructors watch a lot of videos every semester. Yeah. And you know, sometimes those videos aren't great. So the student has to pass each essential skill for the course to pass the course. So say there's 20 essential skills in a course and they don't pass one of them, they don't pass the course. Of course, mm -hmm. we give them the opportunity to redo. So, you know, every clinic is not the same. So what our standards are may not be the standards in the veterinary hospital. So when we're talking urinary catheter placement and those kinds of things, that's why we provide them with what we, our expectations of that skill okay. and how we're going to evaluate them. And we give them a rubric so that they need to make sure that they're following what we say is the requirements mm -hmm. and not necessarily what their clinical site says is the requirement. Okay. Because, you know, people sometimes cut corners in their practices. Yes. Well, we have yes. to teach gold standard and mm -hmm. then if they go to a practice that cuts standards, you know, that's up to them, but they're evaluated on what we say they get evaluated on. And if their clinical skill is not up to our standards, they have to redo it to pass the course. Okay. Yeah, that's, and you know, that was one of the concerns that one of the community college instructors had was, you know, the standardization of skills. So I'm really glad that you guys have that in place to make sure that people are at least seeing the gold standard, you know, at some point, even if it's not something that they're seeing in their, in their daily clinic, unfortunately. Right. So you mentioned if somebody doesn't pass a skill, they don't pass that course. Well, what happens at the end of the term? Do they get to go ahead and move forward and then just have to repeat that class and their load is a little heavier or how does that work? Yeah, it depends on the specific course. If it's most of the clinical practice labs, are um, prereqs for the next lab. Uh, so if they do not pass skills in a particular lab and they have to repeat that lab, they'll have to do that before they move on in the program. And they can just add that to their next semester. Um, it, but it would just push their, their graduation date out a little bit longer. So we give the students every opportunity we can to have them, you know, pr we provide them feedback. We say, this is the areas that you need to improve give them the opportunity to resubmit that skill for a higher grade or a passing grade and things like that. But we do run into a problem sometimes where the students are not in an appropriate clinical site to get the caseload that they need. Okay. For example, the person um, in Montana, one of, our, <laughs> one of our later courses, they have to do a contrast study. So, oh. you know, it's an essential skill. So it's got to be done. So we do offer sometimes for those harder to get clinical skills that would not prevent them to move forward. We, we can give an incomplete for that and have them, you know, follow up with a case. We give them suggestions on appropriate clinical sites to go to, you know, maybe your private practice is not the place where you should be watching and you need to have an affiliation with an emergency or, or an inter internal practice, internal medicine practice so that yeah. you can get that, that skill accomplished and, and those kinds of things. So there are some difficult skills and some of the students are not in progressive veterinary hospitals, right? You know, they're not doing dental radiographs and that yeah. is an essential skill. So we make sure that they know well ahead of time what the essential skills are for that course so that they can find the appropriate practice. Yeah. And that's just another, you know, advantage of a campus program is exactly. we have all those resources there to offer you guys. And so right. So, so again, dedication, yeah, commitment because it's a big commitment to say, I'm going to 
I'm going to find these things. I'm going to go out of my way and work hard and find the appropriate clinical sites to do this in. Yeah. And yes, I I don't want to be a downer. This is meant to be an unbiased (laughs) program for you guys. You know, I just felt like I needed to put my personal opinion out there, but absolutely, Tricia, if you have the drive, you want to get this done, this is your only option. It's still Mm -hmm. a very valid option. It sounds like you guys are putting really great standards out there to turn out really good technicians. It's just, you need to be a dedicated learner and, and understand the commitment that you're making. Great time management skills and a very supportive clinical site. Yes. Yes. And really it sounds like networking or at least having somebody in your back back pocket that is really heavily networked within your personal veterinary community so that you can say, Hey, look, I really need to do this barium study. Do you know of any place that does a lot of them? Or do you know somebody at this clinic over here? And we encourage them to reach out to the the veterinarians in their practice because they all know each other. Um, Let them know and communicate with their colleagues that, you know, I have a student and this is what they're looking for. So if you get something, could you give me a call? I'll send her over, things like that. So, you know, having everyone have buy-in into your education is important in the clinic. So, yeah, because I mean, if it's a clinic that you're working at, especially a clinic that you've been working at for a while, they get a technician out of the deal. So it's a pretty good deal for them to be invested in your education as well. And other things that, you know, I have heard of before guys is some clinics, if you've worked for them for a while, they will, they will set up sort of a payback system. So you contract to work for them for X amount of years after you get your credentials and they'll pay for your degree. So, you know, if they're that invested, they'll help you out. Right. And it's not something that I would discourage you from having that conversation with your clinical site too. If you're working in a veterinary practice and you want to go back and you want to get credentialed in your state and it requires that you be a graduate, then have that conversation. Say, look, I value this practice. I'm invested in this practice. Can you invest in me? Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I think that about wraps us up for today. Tricia, was there anything I missed regarding your online program? Anything else you want to get out there about it? I don't think so. We talked about a lot. So Yeah, we did. I I was hoping we'd get kind of a top to bottom and I feel like we did uh, because, you know, of your set structure with your set start times, you guys would be pretty strict also about when you kick students out to be able to sit for the next VT&E window. So, right, right. So we try not to, we try to graduate students in time for that next cycle. So that yeah. Because we know you're going to know the most, you know, the day you graduate, right? Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> looks like that lines up that really well. Is important. So we, we try to get them out so that they can get that VTE done. Yeah. Well, I like to wrap up my episodes with either tips, tricks, great life hacks that you learned on the job after school. Do you have anything for our listeners? Well, I will tell you, you know, you talked about your reservations in the online program. And I will tell you, I was there when we started the online program here in 94. I was like, there's no way students can do this online. How are, how are they going to get their <laughs> skills done? But I'm amazed at the hardworking, dedicated students that are out there. And if you really want this, if you Absolutely. really want to become credentialed in your state, you can do it. You can do it. I mean, it's not just my program. There's lots of programs out there. But regardless of the program you're going to be in, 
it's going to require commitment and dedication and a work ethic. So, but that's the technicians we want in practice, right? Those are the technicians we need for the future. We need to get the best of the best. So that's why the online program is difficult. We do see a difference between the online program and campus students because of the number of their clinical hours that they're engaging in. Yeah. So right now our VTNE scores for the online program is 100%. Those guys pass the VTNE because they're in practices. They're dedicated. They've worked super hard, put in all this time. You know, their moms, their their dads, their some of them start off working other jobs and doing their clinical hours and doing school. So you know, it's not easy to get through this program. No. So if you do it, kudos, you know, you've worked hard, you deserve, you deserve it. Absolutely. All right. Well, that wraps us up for today, guys. Trisha, thank you so much. Welcome. And you guys can catch more episodes, Kendra, the vet tech podcast, or if you have ideas, questions that you'd like answered via the podcast episode, feel free to get in touch with me on Facebook at Kendra, the vet tech, or via email at Kendra, the vet tech at gmail.com. Thanks guys. 